Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm an addict and alcoholic. This is a show for other addicts and alcoholics and also for their families and for anyone who knows us. If this is your first time listening, we have over 300 episodes in the bank. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you can't get to a meeting right now, which is completely understandable, you can go back and listen to any of our episodes. Please do. We welcome you. And if you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and like us because it makes me happy. Gives me a reason to wake up tomorrow. This is episode two of my two-part series with American author and Buddhist teacher, Noah Levine. In this episode, we talk about forgiveness and being driven to meditation out of desperation, much like in the big book, The Gift of Desperation, we call it, for a reason. We also talk about stopping the hatred and cancel culture. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. After the whole scandal thing that we discussed earlier happened, I watched one of your Facebook lives thing and you were, I don't know what you call it, like a yoga rock. There's like a, it's like a brick. <laughs> you were like sitting on a thing with your knees crossed. And I'm like, I've never seen someone that calm in my life. It, just, it made me want what you had. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like when you see someone you want to sponsor you and you're like, I want that. It's like, however you dealt with that, I wanted that. Yeah. But then, you know, I just decided to stay busy and not do anything, not do shit. Well, you know, I mean, I was driven to meditation out of desperation. I, you know, I was a very angry, violent, you know, crazy punk rock kid. um, And I was just suffering so much. And the 12 step perspective of prayer will restore you to sanity. And there's going to be this divine intervention from your higher power. And just never made sense to me. I'm too rational, logical, intelli- mind. Yeah. Intel- intelligent. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, no, here, yeah. <laughs> totally but, but meditation was like, okay, here's something you can do. Not something to believe in, but here's an action. Here's something that you can do. Pay attention to your breath. And I was like, well, this sounds stupid, but I'll try it. And then paying attention to my breath being like, oh, wow. I didn't know I didn't have to obey my mind because I'm usually paying attention to my mind and my mind's giving me all of this bad advice all of the time (laughs) and I'm just obeying it. And then meditation taught me, oh, you can break your addiction to your mind, not just to the drugs and alcohol and behavior, but in some way, like I think like we're all addicted to our minds. And unfortunately the human mind is naturally filled with self-centered ignorance. So it's not a, you know, it's not a very trustworthy source of information a lot of the time. And so <laughs> meditation actually trains the mind, you know, and of course all of the neuroscience studies are saying like, oh yeah, the meditators are creating neuropathways of ease, of compassion, of well-being that people that don't meditate just don't have. It doesn't happen all by itself. So I, like you, like I, you know, I thought, uh, you know, how's that shit going to work? But then once I started doing it, I was like, oh, actually this shit works. I'm going to keep doing it. The the one thing, the the thing that sticks out of my mind from your book when I read it uh, before our first interview five years ago um, was uh, it was counting your breaths. 
And that's the only meditation practice I have in the world because I get into bed. You know, I mean, I have two different shows. I do an alt rock show and I have a classic rock show. So I've got constant like Bob Seger in my fucking head. Like I've got so much shit in my head that just makes no sense. And it just goes on repeat. But I just count like to 10 and then I count to 10 again. And that's the one thing I remember from your book. And I, if, if I'm not mistaken, your dad taught you that, right? When you were yeah. in like juvenile hall or jail somewhere. Absolutely. Were- yeah, that was one of the first techniques. And it's a great technique, but it's, um, it's not enough. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a good, no, it's a good place to start. I suck. <laughs> it's a good place to start. Um, and, and it gives you that taste of I can choose to direct my attention away from my thinking mind and just to the sensations of the breath and just counting. But we do need to go beyond that. We need to, um, you know, forgiveness is so important because, you know, we've all, especially addicts, we've experienced so much pain and it's natural to resent that pain. We've also acted in such unskillful ways. It's natural to feel regret and guilt and shame about that. So we need to learn to, you know, making amends uh, isn't enough actually to to fully forgive ourselves, um, and then you know it's so important to make amends and to ask for forgiveness. So I feel like that is one of the things that's missing in so many people's recovery is a a deep experience of forgiveness. You're kind of talking about forgiving yourself. It's funny because all, all I've been in recovery a million times. This is the first time I've had this much time, but I've had a bunch of sponsors, and only a couple of them have had me put me on my eighth step list, yeah, you know, yeah. like, so I make amends to me and forgive myself. And it's, it's just so interesting how some people do that. And that's just what they, and, and that makes sense. Yeah. And some people leave that off. Like, no, that's selfish, but it's not selfish. You have to forgive yourself. It's not selfish at all. It's necessary. And, and also we have to forgive ourselves, not just for ourselves, but for everyone around us. Because if we don't forgive ourselves, we're so unpleasant to be around and we're not going to really be able to be of service that well to the people, to you know, the, the living amends that we need to make if it's coming from a place of self-hatred. And you know, this, I, I love what you're saying about in the 12-step world, some people saying, yeah, put yourself on your eighth step and on your ninth step list make amends to yourself, but that's not something, you know, forgiveness, you can't just say, uh, please for, you know, I want to make amends to you to, you know, to myself. The mirror. And, yeah. yeah. You, you can't just do that. Or you can't just say, I forgive you and then experience forgiveness. You have to say that over and over and over probably for years before that part of your heart and mind really accept it. <sighs> and really believe it and really know that um, the past was painful. I don't have to keep hating it. I can have forgiveness. I don't have to turn away from it and ignore it. You know, that whole, you will not regret the past. Yeah. <laughs> shut the door on it. Shut the door on it, yeah. It's great. We know what they're talking about where we like, we had a lot of pain and we learned what we needed to learn from that. Uh, the suffering of alcoholism or addiction, but um, regret is healthy. Yeah. You know what they call people that don't regret the past? Sociopaths. <laughs> really? <laughs> Sociopaths. For everyone listening, he's nodding right now. I was Sociopaths, correct. exactly. I people that, that people that hurt themselves and hurt other people and, you know, and like, cool. like every yeah. addict and alcoholic. Right. They're Ted Bundy. They're Ted Bundy. Straight up. 
so we need to have some a healthy sense of regret and meet that with compassion and with forgiveness towards ourselves, towards each other. I don't know why, but like when you were talking about that, the thought of looking at myself in the mirror and saying, I forgive you, like made me cry. I like, and I don't, I'm so weird with feelings. Like, I'm like, why is my face wet? Oh, I'm crying. Like, I'm so awkward. And I was like, oh, that's, I don't know why, but the thought of doing that just made me feel like I wanted to cry. Like, but that's probably a healthy, positive sign, right? Because there's some movement and uh, how good that would feel and how hard that would be. I don't know if I told you in our last conversation, but I started forgiveness practice early in my recovery, um, but I was young, like 19 or 20, and um, and I just hated myself so much, and I just hated everyone else so much. I couldn't say, I forgive you, and I didn't have to look in the mirror. It was just in, close your eyes and in meditation, say to yourself, I forgive you as much as I can in this moment for all of the ways that you've caused me harm, whether it was intentional or unintentional, you know, just like saying that to yourself over and over, all the ways that I've caused myself harm. And I just, I couldn't do it to myself as an adult. So I took a picture of myself at like, I'm, I don't even, I think I'm around two years old, maybe even younger than two. And I put it on my altar where I meditate. And then I would say to that kid, I forgive you, please forgive me. And I could get some empathy for that two-year-old that wasn't smoking crack yet. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then as I got some empathy and some compassion for the two-year-old, then I could move on to the five-year-old who was already suicidal. And then the seven-year-old who's starting to get high. And then the teenager that's smoking crack and shooting dope and on the streets with the duct tape. <laughs> You got to do something (laughs) and move, you know, and moving slowly sort of through that process uh, and maybe a little bit cheesy inner child work or whatever you want to call it. But we have all of those parts in us. Right. And we have that wounded child and we have that adolescent and we have that teenage addict or young adult addict or whenever we cross the line into addiction. And so. I found forgiveness uh, uh, to be more successful with forgiveness when I started young, where there feels like a more of a worthiness of the compassion. You mean like when you're looking back at yourself looking, young? Looking back, yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. with ourselves at a young age. Right. Yeah. <sighs> and likewise, you can use that for uh, you know other people, people that you have a resentment um, towards as you know adults. Think of them as kids. Think of them, you know, like like. Um, all right, let's get political. Let's talk about Donald Trump. Let's do Trump. it. Let's do it. Let's, let's, let's do talk it. about let's Donald Trump. Do it. People love to hate <laughs> Donald Trump. Yes. People, people love it. People love it. And you know, whatever, whatever. But think of the childhood that that man must have had, and the abuse, the neglect, the suffering. You know that that as a five-year-old. Just, you know, wanting daddy, wanting whatever, whatever he wasn't getting that turned into his self-centered megalomania, narcissism, whatever you want to call him, that was created from a painful childhood. And so being able to uh, have, you know, not in any way saying that the harm that he may or may, you know, is is causing 
not, not condoning it at all, but being able to have some empathy and some compassion rather than hatred of like, this came out of a wounded child. Yeah. And then I can get a little bit of empathy for that five-year-old. I don't hate that kid. I care about that kid. Yeah. But, you know, we get so stuck on hating each other and hating the adults and the uh, unskillful actions in uh, forgiveness, you know, in, in Buddhism and what we do in refuge recovery is we talk about separating the actor from the action, you mm -hmm. know? And so, uh, you know, there's the suffering confused person whose actions are unforgivable, but the actor is just a suffering confused human being. If they weren't so confused, they wouldn't be acting like such a douchebag. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, totally, I totally get that. I know it's like even uh, there was some documentary I once watched, on, you know, because um, the History Channel, it's either like one war or Hitler. It's, it's either one all the time. And I watched this documentary on Hitler once, which is like against my nature. I'm like, why would I why? But I did. And I didn't know he was so abused as a child. Of course, it doesn't make anything he did. I mean, speaking as a Jew, it doesn't make anything he did right at all. But yeah. my God, that was a tortured human being. Yeah. And it's yeah, like, and we and we know this. We know this. Like <laughs> that simple phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And you I've can never look at heard that. Yeah. And that's so good. It's so good. It's so simple. Any, and you can look at anybody that's hurting anybody else and you can just know that person is hurt. Oh, that's so good. That person is suffering. That person is confused. When, when we are hurt, then we, you know, if we don't develop tolerance and compassion for our own pain, we either stay in addiction, which hurts everyone around us, mm -hmm. or we actually, you know, and or we actually spill our pain out onto everyone around us. Hurt people, hurt people. That's like the fucking greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Oh my God. Yeah. It's really, I mean, I, um, my husband is hopefully not with an earshot, but yeah, he had bad job. I don't even care. The girl's <laughs> open, whatever. Like, he doesn't listen to my podcast. He can, <laughs> like, yeah, he had a fucked up childhood. And I just, I watched and he's completely untherapized. He, um, is not, he'll be an addict if he wants to go out and party, but he's not really an addict, you know, like he never did stuff in the morning, but like he wasn't me basically, you know, and two weeks in our relationship was when I started having to hide things. So it's like, he's, he's very different from me, but he's hurt. And I, I watch him project that because, totally. you know, untherapized. It's like, it's yeah. not, it's not that he needs therapy. It's just that he's hurt. And I know yeah, that we can, we can see it in the people together. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see it because you're so close to him. Yeah. But then in other people, we don't see it because we don't know the particular. We don't care. Their, yeah. Or we don't care. Or we don't have to live with them. So we're like, whatever. Yeah. Like, like Donald Trump, like you talked about. I know. Like my mom is literally on Lexapro because she watches MSNBC all fucking day. And her, her mind is just inundated with this stuff and yeah. she can't handle it. And it's like, but, but I always say that, like, what, well, like, what if somebody hurt him? You know, and I'm, I, I'm For not sure. even trying to name drop. For because sure. A hundred percent. Yes. I met him once and he was nice. I hate to fucking say that. I'm a Democrat. <laughs> like, 
if I'm going to vote, even I'm going to be a Democrat. But like I met him once. He was nice. It's yeah, so it no. sucks to see this. It's like. There's always there's always somebody lovable underneath all that shit. Yeah. But we don't give Every, ourselves. I mean, this this is that big perspective is that everyone is forgivable and that everyone can heal and that everyone can recover. You know, that, you know, no matter how uh, bad our addiction, our confusion, mental illness, actually human beings are powerful. We have the ability, the power and the potential to take the appropriate actions to recover. You know, like it feels like when you're strung out, when you're an alcoholic, when you're in, it feels like, fuck, how could I ever stop doing this repetitive cycle? But people like you and I and so many of your listeners, like we know it's actually possible to get sober and stay sober. Like people can do that. Um, And it's not easy and it takes a lot of work. And, you know, some people want to say it's this sort of like magical grace thing that happens. Not my experience. (laughs) I don't believe in that shit at all. It's fucking hard work (laughs) to not obey your mind and to stay sober. Yes. And like the other thing about recovery is it's like, it's easy. It's harder. I feel like to get clean and sober than it is to just stay clean and sober, you know, cause I've relapsed a bunch uh in my history this is the longest amount of time i've ever had but i've relapsed a bunch and every time it is so hard to come back it would have been so much easier for me to just stay in that chair you know and and raise my hand and talk about it yeah yeah i have um i don't know why i haven't relapsed i think that there's a lot of factors that led to me staying sober one of the biggest is my involvement in buddhism um, you know, I found something in Buddhism that just made so much sense to me, was so practical. And part of Buddhism, there's five precepts. You know, the, the Buddha says, hey, if you want to follow this path and you want to be mindful and you want to be wise and compassionate, don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, avoid sexual misconduct, don't have sex with people you shouldn't be having sex with, and don't use drugs and alcohol ever. That's wait what? That's really- total abstinence. I did not know that was one of total abstinence because and it makes sense when you think about it. It's not like it's not like the Buddha is not saying, "Hey, this is a sin." He's saying, "Hey, there's nothing uh, immoral or unethical about drugs and alcohol." But when you're committed to being awake and to being careful with your speech and your actions, if you take a drink, even just a glass of wine, you're gonna lose the ability to be in full choice about what you say and about what you do. So in service of renunciation and mindfulness and maintaining a conscious contact with reality, (laughs) abstain from all recreational drugs and alcohol. And so because I learned that early and I was like, well, I'm an alcoholic. I have to stay sober anyways. And now I'm practicing Buddhism. This helps support my recovery. I never went through that thing that so many alcoholics go through where they want to be normal. They're like, I just wish I could drink like normal people. (laughs) I love that because only alcoholics think that Like, no normal person would think that. It's like, I just wish I could drink in the morning like a normal person. Right. 
I mean, I just feel like I don't, I don't want to drink. Even if I could, I don't want to. I want to be awake. I want to be present for what's happening, even if it's painful. I want the opportunity to feel it and develop compassion and, and forgiveness and, and empathy and mercy. I want to be awake to reality. I don't want to keep putting myself to sleep with the drugs, with the booze, with you know, whatever it is that we're checking out with. Mm. I, want to, I, want to, I want to check in. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I want that. It's uh, my dad once said, like, we used to have these conversations, you know, before he died about like, well, if I found out the world was ending tomorrow, I would get a pile of heroin and a pile of cocaine. And then I forget what the other thing was, I think like a bottle of bourbon, something like that. And this is like literally the year before he died. I said, I brought it up. I'm like, well, if we're dying tomorrow, we're going to party. And he goes, no, I don't want to cross over like that. And I will never forget that moment. And my, he died sober. I will never fucking forget that moment. It's like, what, what, what did that? I mean, I know what did that. That's some kind of like just spiritual, amazing. Like, like that's, that's just him being real. Like, yeah, I get it. Cause, cause I mean, in my mind, if you do, if you cross over like that, you're going to come back and have to do it again. And there's global warming and the planet will probably be made of fire, but I don't fucking come back and be strung out. On it's going to be a really short incarnation. You're going to. No, seriously. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah, I get loaded and I light up. Yeah. Terrible. No, but I totally get that. Like I, that's, that's the kind of thing I strive for. Um, it's just, so let's talk about your meetings that you do. Cause I know you do, you have uh, group meetings, right? Every Monday night in Venice which is Los Angeles. Yeah, so, listening. so um, you know, I basically have two, two core organizations. One is called Against the Stream Meditation Center. And here in, in Los Angeles, in Venice, we have a meditation center. And I teach Monday nights. There's also classes on Wednesdays and Fridays and Sundays and Tuesdays. All of the classes are mostly on Zoom these days. Okay. And people can get that information from againstthestream.com, not .org, .com, okay. uh, against the stream. And that will take you to the meditation center, give you the links to the Zoom if people want to come meditate with me on Mondays or check out some of the other teachers. Mm -hmm. um, Refuge Recovery is refugerecovery.org. And that is peer-led uh, Buddhist-based recovery meetings that are happening every day also on Zoom. We've got a couple of live meetings happening, you know, different places around the country are starting to open up. So there are some live meetings, check the website for, you know, if there's any in your area, but on zoom every day, there's refuge recovery meetings. There's the link on the website. Um, in LA, there's a couple of live ones. There's a live refuge recovery meeting on uh, Saturday mornings at 9am on Venice beach. Uh, Rose and uh, Venice Beach. On the beach? Or in the on the beach. You walk out in the, the beach, beach and you social distance on the beach and you have a, a meeting. And then there's also one downtown Los Angeles on Sunday mornings. Um, and so the, you know, all of that information is, is on, the, on the web. Um, and that's, you know, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm up to these days. Refuge recovery uh, feels like the most important thing. It's saving people's lives. There's so many people who either love 12 step, but didn't really follow through on the meditation and are coming over to say, I really need to learn the meditation. I can do this here. And then there's all the other people who are like, fucking can't stand the 12 steps. It's too, 
theistic, too much God language, I can't tolerate it. In refuge, I find a non-theistic perspective that just makes more sense to me. Um, there's a lot of crossover. A lot of people do both. Some people just choose to do refuge. Uh, and then there's this movie that eventually people will get to see, the uh, Dharma Rebel movie. That's what it's called, the Dharma, the Dharma Rebel? I think it's called, I think that it's, it's Dharma Rebel slash Noah Levine. Okay. I like that. I like that. You know, it's funny. Um, right after I had you on the show last time, I had a guest. Well, not right after. Maybe it was a year after. But I had a guest on the show and he was talking about how he started doing refuge recovery. And he was like, yeah, I took my other friend, you know, from one of the other A's meetings to, to, for anonymity's sake. <laughs> so he took he took his friend and his friend goes, I have never been in a room full of people this calm in my fucking life. Like, oh, my God. And when he said that to me, that's when I was like, I'm going to get down with that. I'm going to start doing it. And then here I am. <laughs> well, calm, you know, I, I like calm and I've, I'm somewhat calm, but I'm also, you know, just because you meditate doesn't mean you're calm. I like to party. I want to go ride the motorcycles and go to the concerts and play the poker. And like, I'm not a boring Buddhist, you know, and refuge recovery isn't full of like, you know, uh, church lady Buddhists. Like we're a bunch of addicts, you know, <laughs> Uh, totally yeah. did not mean that by calm. <laughs> we like we like to party too. Don't call us calm. That's an insult. No, I'm like picturing I'm just I'm just Harvey and the church. I know. I know what you mean. No, that's totally not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Well, we wouldn't be here if we didn't like to party. I mean, that's where exactly. we came from. That's exactly. like that's what's up. But um, like, I really want to see this documentary, and I really appreciate you for speaking out on it because you know a lot of people like we talked about earlier with the cancel culture and whatnot, it just disappeared. And it's like, well, what, what was your side of the story? Yeah. It, you know what I mean? Like there's a story here and it's not just, he said, she said, what's your side of the story. So I really appreciate you not disappearing and speaking up. Yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, if I had, if I had actually done anything um, really egregious, I might've disappeared. I might've had enough shame that I would have just yeah. been like, I gotta go. But, yeah. you know, what a strange thing to be falsely accused and then people encouraging you like, hey, you know what you do when you get accused of something? You just go away. I'm like, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Like somebody <laughs> lies about you and then you just go away. <laughs> yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. I know. And then that, that's literally the culture that we're dealing with right now. And I mean, I fucking am a full blown. I, well, I'm not going to say I'm a full blown feminist because I don't even know what that means. But I'm definitely a feminist. Yeah. And like, I definitely stand up for myself and other women. So it's like when I see a man that is falsely accused, it kind of breaks my heart a little, you know, because I've had shit happen to me. I've had real shit happen to me. So, you know, when I see it happen to someone I'm friends with or just, yeah, I'm really honored that you that you came back on the show and talked to us. And I got so much out of our last time, you know, like now I'm in L.A. so I can actually go meditate. Yeah. Are you going to come to meditation tonight? No. <laughs> You're talking about this day? No. Today, yeah, today. It's like what, and, like in four yeah, hours? In like four <laughs> hours, you can bring your husband and you guys can come <laughs> and meditate. Have you heard of Howard Hughes? Like that's literally my <laughs> husband. Like he is probably somewhere in a cave with sprouting wings right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm off to come by myself. Uh, but no, I, I do have a friend, uh, a friend who uh, cuts hair in Venice. So I've, I've asked, I actually, and I did make the, make the move. I was like, Hey, would you ever like to meditate with me in Venice? <laughs> He's like, is this Dana? <laughs> no. Yeah, it is. I or do, or I want, if you want to stay home, you can catch it on zoom seven 30. I can zoom it. Yeah, you can zoom it. And it's you. It's me. It's live. you in the meditation. Live, every live on Zoom and you can ask questions and all that stuff. Really? Yeah. So it's every Monday at 7.30 at you leave You can meditation. Zoom bomb, you know, you can just like. Make fart noises. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to do this. This is so Charlene, so rolling her eyes. I have a fart machine. <laughs> like I literally am the most immature person on the planet. <laughs> I would, but if, and then now if I do it, of course, it's going to be like, Clearly. Yeah. yeah. You know, that was Dana. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm just, I'm so glad you talked to us and I want everyone to see this documentary and, you know, I want to talk to you more and I want to meditate. Yeah. Come meditate and um, we'll do the show again at some point. Yeah, absolutely. When your Thanks, documentary comes out. That's right. It'll happen. <laughs> yeah. Many people, by the way, I, I just have to bring this up the first time I interviewed you and I said, Noah Levine, and you corrected me. It's ever since that interview, I've had so many people just in my life that have been like, oh, darn punk. Yeah, I know. No, Levine. I'm like, you clearly don't. <laughs> Could you just pronounce his name wrong? I love you. Yeah, I, you know, you know, you know, I don't care because probably <laughs> you know. Levine is the correct pronunciation. I mean, I would think so. And probably my, you know, Jewish uh, relatives were just kind of anti-Semites and they tried to you know, dumb it down a little bit, make it a little less Jewy. There's some Jewy like, in there. You're a like, we're, They were like, we're French. We're um, Levine. <laughs> okay. Now that I know you're Jewish too, like you're, yeah, you're on my fucking list. You're, yeah, I'm putting you in my will. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> love you. Thank you for having me on today. Thank you so much, Noah. It was so good okay. to talk to you and to see you again with your tattoo hair and everything. <laughs> We'll put all the info in the show notes so everyone can meditate with you. Great. I just want to give a huge thanks to Noah Levine for being on the show once again and for being so forthcoming with us. Coming up next, we've got me and producer Shar dropping our weekly deuce on your heads. I don't know why I have to say it like that. I feel bad. But seriously, thank you for listening. Keep coming back. If you want to be on the show or you know anyone who should be on the show, please contact us. The email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's G-O-T-O productions.com. You can also call or text 415-496-9511, even when we're not in studio. And on all the socials, it's at Radio Rehab Dana, D-A-Y-N-A. Thank you for listening. Keep coming back.